listening to the Arise Church podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. Today we consider the gardener and the garden. What does a good gardener do? They plan out their land, they manage their soil, they plant their seeds and they water. A good gardener is attentive to the progress of the plants. Words like tend and cultivate, harvest, guide come to mind. When the time comes, a good gardener may pick blossoms or produce, always and ever looking to keep the garden healthy, beautiful, and productive. God is a good gardener, yes? He has and always will be. We especially see his true and steady hand in Acts. Our human finiteness says, Oh no, Peter's in trouble at the temple. He said too much and now the Sadducees will end the church. Right? We just read 4, 1 through 22 a couple weeks ago. Surely the new seedling, that is the church, will be stomped out. No. Instead we see the Spirit move and give boldness to the disciples. Here's a prayer that comes right before um, our passage today. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This response is because of the good gardener. He had prepared the soil. He had trained the branches. He had given the Holy Spirit. And as a result, God's outcome was achieved. A galvanized church who is ready for external threats and is now wildly blossoming. Mm-hmm. You follow my illustration? Mm-hmm. Yep. We looked at the results of chapters 3 through 4 last week in Luke's summary. Steve laid out a unified church full of grace, loving one another, and yielding to where the Spirit was leading. These were his points. That's good cultivation. That's a good gardener. Yet, this is where we get today, there's one more job that a good gardener does. It's not a popular job can be frustrating, agonizing, weeding. The act and art of removing plants that are unwanted because they are unhelpful to production. A good gardener spends time caring for fruitful plants and also removing weeds. Today's passage, 5, 1 through 11, is hard to swallow. It's a narrative that shows the good gardener weeding. God cares and tends to his church. He desires its health, and it must be preserved. Acts 5, 1-11. Ready to read it? Sure. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5, 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. 
Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Lord, help us as we as we look at your word and, uh, and, and guide us in conversation and, and thought and theme. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, so like we have, we have like this passage, right, where... Where it's just that's it. Like you really messed up. You really messed up. And and um and I think there's a lot of things that I, just again like knowing I was responsible for this week's uh, lesson. Like there's a lot of things that I feel like I could pull in or wanted to talk about. Funny enough, one of them being temple. But I think um, these are kind of the places that I want to really draw our attention to. So um, the first thing that I came to is um, the the big questions are why. Right? Why did this happen? Why? We know there's sin. We know things happen. Why is this so serious that these people, this immediately happened and there was an immediate consequence? Like, what about the bigger picture? And I hope me talking all this much so far has brought you to the understanding that there was a strong vibe, right? There was an environment that was being cultivated by God through the Holy Spirit that was undeniable. And there was an excitement. There was a wave, right? We see trends start and we see them blossom. This was like more than a trend. It was a life-changing thing that God had planned for a really long time. And so that's where we're at. We have Barnabas, right? Barnabas was the dude that I just mentioned. Happens right before five. Who has given a field completely, right? He, his heart was moved. Again, I don't want to read too much into the emotions of what he was doing. But we can see that he generously gave. He was, he was a, a Levite. He gave the field, and that was it. And I'm sure, um, well, as, as we look at my first point, it's like posturing to praise, right? Um, and Ananias and Sapphira were, were most likely a part of the church. I mean, that for all intents and purposes, we could say, yes, they were a part of the church. They had witnessed this thing. They had seen what Barnabas did. Um, and so we have them posturing, right? Posturing being in all types of ways, whether it's mind, body, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, right? There's no like telling somebody they don't know. They're like really pretending like this is the life that they're leading, posturing to praise. Um, I always want to be careful because like, you know, we don't, we don't really know, we don't know their maturity or the immaturity, right? Like, so I could, I could paint them as like these grinchy, like evil people, like, oh yes, let's steal all the money. It's a great idea, you know. Like, I, we can easily do that. And I think that feels better for us, right? If that was the case, we'd be like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they do deserve to die. Or were they just like super immature and they just didn't know? We don't, we don't really know that. But I try to stay away from like putting too much emphasis on, like, in, but in that part. However, there's some super key parts in verses 3 through 4 that we have to look at and have to come to grips with. One being Peter's response, um, which is, A, 
did you is this like really the amount like is this the amount you, you just like so i can check with you and and they're like yeah well here you go like god bless you whatever the thing is right he says um ananias why has satan filled your heart to lie to the holy spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the pro- proceeds of the land a couple of things i feel like are super important number one Peter is not saying he's offended. Peter's not offended. Hmm. He's not even saying the church is offended, right? Hmm. There is no human like conversation going on. This is like a direct, what I put in my notes is like, he is not, he is not an executioner. He's literally an observer in this, in this story, right? Hmm. He's, he's just saying, why did you do this to the Holy Spirit? Right? And so in that way, he's not like, how dare you? I, I commend or like I, I, I put you to death or any like Peter is not this is that he's literally seeing Ananias' actions and knows his heart. However, like that's revealed and the consequence. And so he's just seeing it and saying what happened, even his response. And, and again, we don't know Peter's like sorrow or, or what his like real tone here might be. But he's saying um, verse four, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Like a bunch of rhetorical questions, right? Almost the same way I ask students or we ask our kids, like, what what were you what were you thinking? Like what how is this gonna work out for your benefit? Mm. You know? You're you're really offensive. Like, did you not know that? Again, I think to me, too, this part points back to when we're talking about this, like, happy land in verse 32, where it's like, everybody was given the thing, and, and, every, and all the means were, like, there was, to me, Peter saying, like, you don't have to do that, right? That's something that should be done out of the generosity of your heart, if you're in a good space, right? And so it's not a requirement, it's a response, right? Mm. You're saying to you, you're saying, because I want to be a part of this, because Jesus has saved me, because my life has been transformed, I now look at my finances different. I look at my time different, right? And so, but they're not doing that. They're pretending like they are, mm. but they're not. They're, they're just really in this moment of like hype, right? Or whatever. Um, and again, so we have Peter's response being, nah, bro, like, that's not the move. And, and I'm, and there's consequences, right? He, my Bible says he breathes his last. So again, like commentaries, we don't know exactly how he died, whether it was like, you know, anaphylactic shock, heart attack, blah, 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 whatever. The idea is like, he was alive and fine. He wasn't having no health problems. Then now he's not dead anymore because of God's judgment, which I think is really challenging for us. But we have to think about that. God's judgment fell upon Ananias and his life was ended, right? Moving on to number two, which we get to uh, uh, conspiring in the compromise. Um, So we have Ananias, boom, whatever, they were apart. And then Sapphira, which is his wife, comes in. Same exact thing happens to her, right? The only difference is, uh, well, maybe not the only difference, but one of the things is verse eight in the text. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And again, I've read this passage like, 200 times in the last four weeks or whatever and every time i'm like like it's almost like he's he's really again i don't know peter's heart in this situation but it's almost like this is his chance like are you sure you don't want to repent like because because i saw what happened to ananias he's not saying this but like is this really what you sold it for right and how much of us do that with our kids or whatever it's like 
How'd you really get this? Are you sure you need to Did you really trade that Pokemon card or did you just snatch it? Yeah. And so again, it's like it's like again maybe an offer offer for Peter for for her to repent. She had a chance to be like, nah, you know what? Yeah. But we have conspiring, right? This conspiracy to say like, hey, not only did you know, but I'm in on it, and we're saying that this is what we're gonna do, and this is how we want to uh, present ourselves. So, uh, of course, we have the result being she immediately fell down and breathed her last. The men take her out and bury her. And then verse 11, which is kind of the last thing that I think is the bigger picture, um, which is a righteous result, okay? Posturing to praise, conspiring in the compromise, and then a righteous result, which is verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Remember, Luke is the writer of this. So Luke covered uh, Jesus' whole life in the book of Luke. He continued in, in the book of Acts. Again, in, in, in my training, Luke Acts is kind of how you say it. It's Luke Acts. It's two, it's the, it's two of, the same, of the same book. Right? So Luke is very good at these summarizing, summarizing parts. He, 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 like I kind of said in the very beginning, he writes a little narrative. Uh, uh, you know, we have, we have a miracle or something, some threat, and then like kind of a summary of what happened as a result in the church. And so we have, in verse 11... And great fear came upon the church. We do not have a passage that says, and then nobody wanted to be a Christian after that. Or, and then the church dispersed and everybody like went back to Judaism. Right? We, we don't have that. And so there has to be an understanding that, like, I think in this culture and in this time and in this moment, like, there was a different understanding of fear. And especially the fear of the Lord. When we think about this passage, we see the good gardener. We should be thankful for all of his work. As we end today, we think about our Savior who says, our Savior who says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. This is John 15, 1 through 6. We long to be one with our Savior, right, guys? We long to bring fruit to the vine. We fear separation from our source of life. Jesus is our Savior, our source of life, our vine. So again, we have this perfect picture of God the gardener, but Jesus is the vine in which which we we grow from, right? We are the branches. And, and, And when we're connected to Him, and when we walk with Him, and when we have intimacy and relationship with him which he has offered then we are whole and we're complete and we're safe that's why we take communion communion is a, rem- a reminder of the stories and actions that that uh that has happened in the past for our our our, our savior and our eternal uh our eternal our eternal saving um we take the bread which is a representation of the body of Christ. He came to earth as we celebrate in the Advent season. Uh, it wasn't just a snowy super winter day. He lived a life um, and, then, and then was crucified on the cross. He became that sacrifice that we talked about in the Old Testament once and for all because he was us. He was us. Um, we have renewal because of what he's done. So we take to remember that. Let's take the bread together.
the religious imagery, I think, of blood is always like tricky, but I think it's like this is the life, right? This is this this is what we know that keeps you alive. When your when your blood is moving, you're alive and you're here, right? And so we have this like visceral uh, reminder of Jesus sacrificing himself and his blood stopping, right? And in that moment, our sins are said are said. This is, this is on him. Our sins are put upon him. He is the lamb that is sacrificed, right? The, the blood is poured out, right? The crazy news is, is that the blood is poured out and then the blood moves again, mm. right? He didn't stay dead. Mm. And so in that, it's, it's a beautiful reminder that not only is it our forgiveness, it's our hope. And it's our peace, right? Which is all about the season. So let's drink in thanksgiving together. I want to end today. Um, I have this super cool book that I read almost every morning. Uh, it's just pure, uh, prayers for the Puritans. Just a bunch of beautiful prayers. And um, again, as I was just thinking about our our theme of just this, this gardener and the vine um, and weeds, uh, it struck me. So again, I know it's kind of like theologically heavy. Uh, there's a lot of like industry imagery. If, if 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 you're not churched, then it might not make a lot of sense. But I hope um, it speaks to you, dear Jesus, dearest Jesus. How will I ever be able to admire you enough, much less adore you, for the wonderful way you stooped to our level? What an image you used in the vine to illustrate your lowliness and meekness reminds us also of your fruitfulness and love for your people. The prophecy said you would be as a root out of dry ground. What is more dry and unpromising before the budding season than the vine? It was also said that you would have no form nor comeliness nor any beauty that we should desire you. And when you call yourself the true vine, Lord, you could not have chosen a more unsightly image. It was said that you would be lowly and meek when coming with salvation. And what is lower than the vine that sends forth branches upon the ground? What is so weak and feeble as the vine that always needs some prop to support her feeble arms? In the spreading of your gospel, Lord, you reach uh, your reach was prophesied to be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And truly, Lord, in the widespreading branches of the vine, you are the fruitful bough of Joseph, even a fruitful, uh, a fruitful brought by a well whose branches run over the wall. So when we see the multitude of your people all hanging on you, that's us, church, all united to you, and all drawing sap, moisture, life, strength, and fruitfulness from you, what can more beautifully represent you and your people than the rich vine and her branches? Precious Lord Jesus, surely you are the true vine which surpasses the whole creation of God. Lord, let me sit under your shadow and let me taste of your fruit. Glorious, wonderful man whose name is the branch. You are as the prophet described you beautiful and glorious in the eyes of all your redeemed. On you, Lord, I would hang all the glory of your Father's house and all the glory of my salvation. Let me sit under your shadow with great delight here until you bring me home to sit under you, the tree of life, 
and the paradise of God in the fullness of enjoyment of you forever. Amen. Amen.